Hello and welcome along to the second Oblong Desk podcast. I'm Noakes and joining me once again is John. Hello, John. Hello. Yeah, and uh, episode one out of the way, we all thought it went well and we've had some interesting uh, feedback and interesting places it's being listened to in already, would you believe? Bulgaria and the United Arab Emirates. We've had um, people listening out there. So hello to you if you're out there and listening to us in Bulgarian. Are you sure it's a Bulgarian and not Great Uncle Bulgaria? Well, who knows? Who knows? It would be nice to think that he's sitting there with his uh, tartan shawl and sitting there listening with Tober Mori, wouldn't he? Yesterday's Times on his lap, yeah. Mm, absolutely. Um, we've also had a, uh, a tweet in from Julian, who uh, was listening, and mentions that his daughters went to school with Shakespeare's sister's drummer's daughters as well, which... I think is a brush with celebrity that we should be aiming and aspiring for. Yes. Yes. So, so yeah, maybe if you've also had a similarly minor brush with a minor celebrity, you could uh, tweet us at the Oblong Desk and uh, we'll see if we can find the most spurious brush with celebrity. You got anything? Yeah, um, Nick from Australia, who's one of our old uh, Nottingham buddies, has got in touch. And uh, he's asked for us to bear him in mind if there's any future guest spots, which, um, you know, we haven't thought Ooh. about, but we, we, we might do. We'd probably have to uh, get people commenting on just a few tracks rather than the entire album, unless we wanted a three hour long podcast, which I don't think anybody wants. No, probably not. And uh, And in fairness, the task of sitting here in a small room surrounded by lots of uh, sound-deadening furniture. It's not the greatest way to spend it, actually. I mean, we enjoy it, but physically, <laughs> no. physically, it's got it's got its limits. But yeah, it'd be lovely to have some of the old gang back and maybe some new people as well. Yeah, so we'll get in touch again. Lovely. Yes, at the Oblong Desk on Twitter, or uh, you can, I think you can drop in comments on the website as well oblongdesk.podbean.com yeah, It looks like you can, but I don't think we've had any yet so yes, pepper that site with comments that would be lovely. It's all new and it's all very exciting. New this week Now 22. Yeah. What can we expect from Now 22? Well, let me give you a quick rundown of the facts on Now 22. Release date 27th of July 1992 um, Can't remember if that was a hot summer or not. I, I think it was an average one from memory um, 34 top chart hits which is uh, slightly down on the previous one. 19 on the first disc again but only 15 on the second. There is a reason for that. We'll come to that later The cover is a kind of orange, orangey brown sunset affair. I suppose it's supposed to be like a summer sunset very nice uh, there are five number ones on it uh, that's a 100% strike rate of available number one since the previous now album which is um, very good going and there's one on you there from the year before as well for no apparent reason again we'll we'll cover this later um, the uh, the first appearance on here for George Michael and uh, the last appearance after five selections in all for the cure Change your mind on the first in line. Honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know and I'll be around. If you got no place to go when you're feeling down. If you're all alone when the pretty birds have flown, honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me. Do that. 
That's track one on disc one or LP one or cassette one, whichever you had, of Now 22. Take a chance on me from Erasure, which is taken from the ABBA-esque EP that was uh, a huge number one, a big URN favourite on the Oblong Desk back in the day. In fact, I think when we did a kind of end of term roundup, I think it was voted the best song or best selection of songs, I guess, from the entire term. And you have to kind of pick your favourites, really, don't you? Uh, from that, Take a Chance on Me, there was also Voulez-Vous, SOS, and Lay All Your Love on Me. So some really big ABBA things. Covering ABBA, though, very dangerous game, isn't it? You've got to know what you're doing. Uh, Erasure apparently did these songs in their concerts. Um, these are radically, radically different from the originals, though, and they're clearly having a lot of fun with them, uh, with all the bleepy, blonky, blinky, blonky noises. Um so I think they've done an excellent and interesting job. It's not just like, oh, let's see if we can recreate ABBA to the letter. They've done an erasure job on them. And um, for the most part, I think they work. I think that probably the one that they've picked for this album is the pick of the bunch. I always liked Lay All Your Love On Me as well. Um, I wasn't so keen on SOS. I don't, th- I don't think they quite nailed SOS. No. Sure. I... But this, this one's good. I I was going to say that I think SOS suffers because it's probably the straightest cover out of the four, um, and mm. I I th- I think for that reason it's a bit disappointing. I mean it's it's also my favourite ABBA song, so you know nothing's really going to compare. Take a chance on me. I really liked at the time, and I don't think it's aged that well. Whether it's the MC Kinky rap or just the sound of it, I'm not sure. But um, I think. My favourite now is probably Lay All Your Love On Me, because I think that's interesting and has aged surprisingly well. Also, uh, interesting fact, Vince Clark and I have the same birthday. He's older than me. There you go. <laughs> Thanks. And, and and I suppose if we bring it back to the Now albums, Take a Chance On Me was always going to be the one picked because it was on nearly all compilations. Uh, now Dance 92 plumped for Voulez-Vous, which kind of makes sense because it's the danciest of the four. Um, and Lay All Your Love On Me did appear on other kind of end-of-year roundup compilations that weren't Now albums. But SOS didn't really appear anywhere. And interestingly, when Erasure did their, well, one of their many greatest hits that was just called Hits um, around 10 years or so ago, they picked three of them and ignored SOS. So it seems to be a consensus that SOS is the not very interesting one. Yeah, yeah. But still, still, well done, Erasure. This is a weird one to put on as track two if it's called Finally, because it isn't Finally. So, um <laughs> Well, who knows? Uh, but CC Peniston's back for the second album in a row. I think with this one, you can kind of hear like she's almost Whitney wannabe. There's a lot of, in the way she sings that, a lot of Whitney Houston influences. And also the production is quite kind of like that's that sort of a couple of years before that, how Whitney was producing her dance songs. you thinking of the likes of I'm Your Baby Tonight and things like that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, it is It is a bit Whitney light and, um, you know, for all her faults and goodness knows, recording endless drippy ballads is certainly one of them. Whitney's voice is much better than uh, CeCe Peniston's. But this was the uh, this was the re-release that uh, went into the top 10 because the original one just scraped into the top 30. So, uh, you know, a, a big hit, I suppose. I wouldn't have put it track two, but fair enough that it's on here. Yeah, you still hear it around nowadays. It doesn't sound that bad. Oh, 
track three is Please Don't Go by KWS, another huge number one hit for five weeks. I know. Uh, we loved it at the time. I mean, it, it helped, I guess, that they were from Nottingham. They were three, uh, well, I think two DJs from the Black Orchid nightclub, which I used to go to in my first... If you told me that <laughs> I was going to be playing a record that was produced by the guys from the Black Orchid nightclub at the beginning of my time in Nottingham, I would have laughed you out of town. Um, it's not aged well, though, it has to be said. No, I, I always think of it as please do go. Um, but that's, that's, I never realised they were from the Black Orchid. Oh, yes. <laughs> the only thing about the Black Orchid was, um, that I remember, was a mixture of bitter disappointment and those absolutely minging kebabs that they used to serve. Uh, which you only ate at two in the morning, then walk back the endless miles. Yeah, it was a long way back, wasn't it? I mean, I'm I'm not a kebab fan, so I would have never eaten those, but certainly I remember the music was the same practically every week. They played Summer of 69 by Brian Adams without fail, the Grease Megamix without fail, and uh, yeah. Uh, mm. Shall we, uh, shall we uh, move on to track four? <laughs> the thing about um, the KWS song is that there is nothing clever, I don't think, about slapping a kind of contemporary beat onto an old song and that does neatly take us on to track four which is it only takes a minute by take that which is a uh, contemporary beat slapped onto an old song um it's weird take that are sort of to my mind similar to the beatles in one respect beatles had two very distinct periods pre sergeant pepper and post sergeant pepper and you know people are divided on whether they like the early beatles or later beatles take that similarly have this kind of like before back for good and before gary barlow was allowed to have his songs released and after that and after back for good take that a brilliant and nobody but nobody likes early take that better than late take that this song just underuses the talents of at least three of the band members in such a huge way that it is my humble opinion that it only takes a minute should be deleted from history immediately uh, yes um, I kind of agree with that I, I don't particularly like it myself but considering that I found Heaven the next single was even worse um, I think you could make a case for uh, for not just it only takes a minute disappearing um, it, it was their first big hit of course it was the first one you know they'd only had a, one minor hit before that and that was the first big song they'd had big top ten hit and um, within a few months they were they were really big. I mean, A Million Love Songs was later that year. Could it be Magic, of course, which I think is a bit better and we'll cover in the future. Um, that was later in uh, 92 as well, into 93. So um, without that, I suppose we wouldn't have got the later Take That songs, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and without the early Beatles, you wouldn't have got the later Beatles either. So there is that. They obviously wanted Take That to be the archetypal boy band, the next new kids or something like that. And when you look at what Gary Barlow has become, when you look at what Robbie has become, and even little Marky Owen has become, you think, well, how did you get it so wrong? I suppose it's like any kind of manufactured band. You've got to stick with something safe and get the get the fan base involved, I guess. But I do think that we can now go back and go, do we need to hear the early stuff anymore? Probably not. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. So uh, let's move on to track five. Ah, Heartbeat by Nick Berry. Yes. <laughs> He's uh, following in Dennis Waterman's footsteps here, isn't he? Acts in the TV programme, sings the theme tune. He didn't write the theme no, tune, he didn't. though. That was Buddy Holly. Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing you would expect from a show where the main character's crime-fighting exploits 
consisted of stopping Claude Greengrass from rustling his chickens every week. <laughs> it is absolutely safe, clean. Ah, oh, who couldn't love Nick Berry at the time with his cheeky cockney grin? It is an ITV song. Yeah. Loved by the many and with zero depth. Yeah, a number two hit, though. So to have two hit songs as a number one and a number two, that's not bad going, to give him his due. It is the third cover version in a row on uh, this Now album, though, and four out of the first five are. So um, it's uh, it's not a bad thing that the next few... Well, I mean, track seven's arguable, we'll come to that. But... Um, the next one certainly isn't a cover version and is another massive number one hit and we're going to hear a bit of this one as well it's uh, track six from snap rhythm is a dancer Rhythm is a Dancer, and uh, a number one record, another one that we've got on here, on Now 22. This is like when similes go wrong, isn't it? Uh, the uh, I'm serious as cancer when I say Rhythm is a Dancer. No, it's not. It's not as serious as Cancer Turbo. It isn't. It's my second favourite one. The one that gets the award is uh, definitely Duran Duran's You're About As Easy As A Nuclear War. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Nuclear War is far far harder but this one this one's right in there and i guess it's because they obviously wanted an easy rhyme with dancer but then like they they try and rhyme it with companion later yes they do don't they bizarre it's a classic it still gets played now i like it except for the cancer i i still like it too i mean it was it's our first one i think so far that was um still going up the chart when the album was compiled um judging by the sleeve notes and uh, the songs that are on here um it looks like it was either compiled in late june or early july it's difficult to kind of put a finger on this one whereas we could with the, with now 21 um but it was number 13, certainly, judging by the sleeve notes, at the time this compilation was locked down. Um, as you said, number one for six weeks. I mean, nearly all the number ones in 92 were long-running. Now, there is uh, a story about this for which I'm quite famous, because I'd only just started doing the record buying for University Radio Nottingham back when it was, uh, uh, what was it, that Island Records in Beeston, I think it would have been then. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right, cool. isn't it? And... Um, and I went there to have a look at all the singles. We couldn't afford much. We tried to buy the ones that were 99p, and it was mostly vinyl because we couldn't afford the CDs. And um, I was down to my last 99 pence of my budget, and I had a couple to listen to that I hadn't heard. One of them was Snap, Rhythm is a Dancer, and the other one was The Farm. Now, I have always said it was the single Mind by The Farm, which got to number 31. However, when I looked at this, my memory was obviously cheating me because Mind came out the year before. The Farm single that I was choosing between uh, was actually Rising Sun. Now, I wisely decided that the Snap one probably wasn't going to be a big hit and the Farm one would probably be a reasonable hit, and I bought The Farm instead of Snap. And Rising Sun got to number 48. (laughs) So that was a winner then. 
Number 48. We're probably mainly on the basis that you bought that record. <laughs> yes, quite possibly. Um, so, yeah, so so the memory's cheated uh, there. So, so just to set the record straight on that anecdote that I've been doing for years, yeah, I didn't even get the farm single right, but the, the general principle is there. I, I made a huge mistake there. Yes. For our younger uh, listener, going out and buying records, in order to hear music, you have to actually physically leave the house and go and purchase and then come back again. Rather yes, than just yes, you did. The other thing I want to say before we move on is um, the absolutely hideous radio edit that um, most of the big corporate commercial stations do on this track. Now, fair enough. I get that people want to edit out the Turbo B bit, especially for the reasons that, that we've already discussed. But what, um, what certainly a radio station that's named after a part of the body, you know the one, um, their edit of this is about two minutes long. They chop out the Turbo B rap, they chop out the intro, which is quite long, and they chop out the extended outro, which is also about 30 seconds or so. So you end up with a two-minute song that is basically... First chorus, first chorus, end. And it sounds ridiculous. And I wish radio stations... If you, if you don't want to hear bits of the song, you don't think the, the listener can cope, don't play it at all. There you go, rant over. Well done, and well said, and I hope you are listening long FM. <laughs> Thanks. Drax Evan is uh, Utah Saints and Something Good. You'll never hear a Utah Saints song and go, oh, I wonder, mm, who, wonder who this mm, is by. Pondering. Who's mm. that? It's like they've got a personal vendetta against Soundhound or something. Uh, I reckon this is, well, whilst it's okay, it's not a patch on what can you do for me. Um, I can take it or leave it. How about you? Interesting. I'm the other way around. I mean, I actually bought What Can You Do For Me on uh, vinyl when it came out. Uh, I didn't buy something good, but I think I probably prefer something good now. Um, I mean, it's their biggest hits. It got to number four, uh, and it was remixed later and got in the chart again. I think it still stands up. I, th- I think it's probably their best song, but it, in, in terms of placing on the album, you can see why they put it there after Snap, can't you, really? Yeah. Yeah. Shall we play... A very, very out of character cure song. <laughs> yes, lads. okay to be happy goths you can open the curtains look at the sunshine everything's okay fat bob's happy it is the perfect pop song and it's very very infectious catchy you can't help but enjoy it yeah i think i like it more now than i did then i was kind of reactionary to it then because i was doing that classic thing of this isn't like the normal cure stuff Uh, i'm not not so sure but yeah i think i like it more now than i did then do you think goths are enjoying lockdown it's probably their kind of thing isn't it I don't know because they have been told to go out every day. Oh yeah, that's true. Although you have to spend 23 hours inside, they've got to go out in the sunshine. It's going to play havoc with their um, pasty skins. They get tans. But I think the avoiding contact with other human beings 
might be okay. Okay, well, that's that's solved that. I mean, if, if you are a goth and you've got an opinion, do contact us, of course. Uh, in the meantime, we'll move on to track nine, which is The Days of Pearly Spencer by Mark Almond. A perhaps surprising fact, his only top ten solo hit, with the emphasis on solo, because, of course, there was the Gene Pitney duet and the Bronsky beat, um, du- uh, well, kind of duet as well. Um, it got to number four, this one, another number four hit, and um, it was originally uh, released in the 60s by David McWilliams, and it was what uh, we in the trade call a turntable hit. In other words, it was played on the radio a lot, but nobody actually bought it. He's done more covers than people realise over the course of the years. Uh, my favourite one being when I discovered that Tainted Love, the Soft Cell song, was not in fact an original version. You go, what? Surely not, as do loads of people. And then you go and hear the original, which whisper it i think it's better the original than the soft cell mm, which i know is wrong uh, no i, I know don't agree <laughs> um i know it's wrong but i'm allowed to be wrong sometimes uh this one though is heaps better and it's got you know beautiful over-the-top production there's strings in there there's great storytelling in there and i really really like it. i think it stands up and probably only somebody as ott as mark ormond could get away with it and you know why it's a brilliant over-the-top production don't you is it that man it's trevor horn yes he produced yes. most of the tenement symphony album that that comes from so uh he he did jackie as well you'll be <laughs> extremely unsurprised here which which pretty much defines the uh, phrase over-the-top production although to be fair the scott walker original did as well track 10 bell bottomed tear by the beautiful sound yes a whimsical look at shagging <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for that yeah, I, yeah i've got nothing to add really it's kind of okay the uh, the liner notes make big play of the fact that oh brianna corrigan sings on this one you know like on their number one a little time and you think yeah but it's not as good as that is it really there's some nice harmonies in there and nice storytelling uh, it's just nice isn't it? just nice with all of the good and bad things that just nice entails there's nothing to lift it to the heights of anything other than oh yeah that's nice are you a goth who's been forced to get some much needed vitamin d what's your favorite song from it erasures abaresque p and did you ever eat a kebab on the way home from the black orchid and how much did you regret it later speak your brains on these and other matters at the oblong desk on twitter Still to come, Noakes makes this strange noise. Get off. That was on Now 20. It was get off. I like saying it like that because it's just amusing. I make this even stranger noise. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. In the end, I have to go and have a bit of a lie down. We reveal the artists who appear now where else and imminently princes cooking up a storm as Oblong Desk's review of Now 22 continues. There it is, the smallest hit on the album by uh, one of the smallest people on the album. That's that's a bit of a cheap shot, isn't it? Sorry. Uh, Prince and the New Power Generation with Thunder, which is track 11 on uh, disc one of now 22. That only got to number 28, you know. 
that's ridiculous because I absolutely love, love, love this incarnation of Prince and this particular song in this particular period. It's huge. It's over the top. There's very few artists that could get away with doing this kind of level of production. I mean, I'm looking at him and, you know, I don't even think Michael Jackson could have done something this mental. Brilliant, brilliant song. I'm mystified as to why more of you didn't buy it. I love it. And I don't like all of Prince's stuff, but this period, he was doing some absolutely cracking stuff. Yeah, I think I agree with that broadly. I mean, I don't like it now as much as I did then, for for whatever reason. I mean, I absolutely loved it then. But it, to me now, it's it's in the top half of his uh, back catalogue, but I wouldn't put it right at the top. I think the reason it didn't do better is that it's the fifth single off of uh, Diamonds and Pearls. So I guess, you know, only the hardcore fans would have been buying the uh, single and also that's probably why now we're able to license it because Prince traditionally was a hits artist and not a now artist so that's only that's his second and last appearance I think I don't think he appeared after this Um, certainly the only other one I can recall is uh, get off that was on now 20 was get off I like saying it like that because it's just amusing yes and and that's that's another cracking one I do like that as well. So I think it's just a case of, look, we've licensed Prince, and let's not worry about how big a hit it is. So uh, fair, fair enough, I say. Track 12 is even better than The Real Thing by U2, which is a fantastic rock track, I think. It's slick, and it's cool, and it's catchy, and it's one of the best things that they ever did. Hmm, I'm on the fence there. Um, I mean, having criticised the compilers for not including one on the previous album, they're back to form here with uh, with that track, which I, I think it's good. I mean, I think uh, Acting Baby in general is a, probably, well, no, definitely the best album they ever did. Um, it's a shame that they didn't put the remix on in a way, because the remix, I think, is slightly better than the original version. That's the the perfecto one isn't it but that came out just after the album uh, just after now 22 was released so maybe they couldn't have got it in time i don't know and it's quite a different kind of song isn't it this one is just pure rock rather than a dance song and i think may maybe for a little bit of variety they decided to go with this the original version well we're um we're back into the dance tracks again with um number 13 which is lsi by the shaman unfortunately possibly because this is another pre-release track i mean this was put on here way before it came out actually um this isn't the single version on now 22 it's a completely different version which isn't as good i don't know whether it's just an early version that they got and slung on or or what happened there but uh it's a rare case of the the now album track not being the right version I don't think that LSI is the best example of what they did, but it's got all the elements that you would expect from The Shaman. It's got the repetitive chorus, a very catchy hook, and it's got Mr. C shouting all over it in his Mr. C way. There's a lot better to come from them, but this was a good kind of entry point to that period of The Shaman, which everyone loves. Yeah, I think that's a good summary. So on we go to track 14 and uh, we're going to get disappointed with electronic.
disappointed. Electronic and, sorry to say, yes, I was a bit, uh, the combined powers of the Smiths and New Order and Pet Shop Boys. This should be absolutely fantastic. And there were several other electronic tracks that were. And I don't know what it was about this. Maybe my expectations were too high, but I just kind of go, yeah, okay, it's all right. But I'm I'm not madly in love with it. We're, it's one of those occasions where we're completely diametrically opposed then because uh, it's my favourite electronic track, weirdly. Um, I, I don't really know why. I mean, maybe it's because I did buy it on that trip to the record shop for URN that week and it was a hit. So I've got something to thank that uh, that journey for. Uh, I don't know. It's just something about it. I really, really like it. I mean, it was their biggest hit, number six. Not that you'd ever know because you never hear it. You, if you hear any electronic songs, it's probably getting away with it and then maybe get the message occasionally. You you wouldn't hear this one very often. But yeah, I, I just really, really like it. And I think it sounds good now as well. Yeah, you don't hear Feel Every Beat, which is my favourite one. Well, there's a reason for that. That's because it, it got to number 39. <laughs> yes, uh, but I just like uh, Mr. Mars guitar work on that one. It is good. Yeah, it is a good song. Agree. <laughs> it's probably le- less obviously a hit than uh, than Disappointed. I say, I don't, don't hate it at all. It's just that I kind of like... You know when you get a super group that gets together and you think, well, you should be really pulling out all the stops. And to me, this is just a pop song. And I'm kind of thinking, did they sit there going, yeah, this is this is the best we can do? And I don't know if it was. Anyway, never mind. Maybe, maybe they just went, ah, oh, that'll do. Let's go to the pub. Maybe they said, I don't care, which is a hilarious way of moving forwards to track 15, which is uh, that song by Shakespeare's Sister. I'm doffing my Radio Link of the Year cap to you there, mate. Thanks. Um, this is one of the catchiest choruses on here. Uh, we played a Shakespeare Sister song last album. They're back here again. And completely different style of song. A lot of fun. Uh, the video was bonkers as well. And the verse, we criticised Miss Fahey's vocal range, as did many people. But this really, really, the verse suits her and the, and the whole story the whole style of the song really suits her range and her delivery. Um, and they play off each other beautifully. I really love this. It's a fantastic song. I, I don't understand why you never hear it on the radio. It should be a radio staple. And it was a top 10 hit, for goodness sake. And, um, yeah, when uh, when I saw them live last year, this was absolutely one of the highlights of the set. No question. They did it absolutely brilliantly. And uh, we all cheered when the hot and top bit came up as well, because that's, uh, that's always a highlight, really. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Track 16, and we're going to hear some shouting now. It's uh, Carter, the unstoppable sex machine, and Do Re Mi, so far so good. Always gave us a good lyric, did Carter, uh, full of wordplay, poetry, and with an edge. This one um, ranting quite heavily about uh, vacuous pop stars just earning money and turning up and doing charity work. 
I was a massive fan to the point where I spent some of my very, very paltry university savings on the entire 1992 The Love Album album. And this is one of my favourite tracks on there. Angry, but you can still hear what they're angry about. And I think that the constant attention to detail. Jim Bob's written some books, actually, some proper novels. So he clearly had some kind of lyrical skill behind him. And yeah, I love everything about Carter and... This is a prime example of them at their best. Okay. Um, I liked them at the time. Uh, I liked the previous album more than the Love album, I have to say. But it, it's one of those I've gone completely 180 degrees on them now. I can't really stand any of their stuff. Um, Sheriff Fatman maybe is an exception, actually. But um, certainly not this one. Oh, I've just remembered. Uh, you know, you're talking about um, encounters with people out of bands. Yeah. Who was the hanger-on with Carter? Uh, not Jim Bobble Fruit Bat, the the fat guy. He he, he didn't yeah. do anything. He was just there. What was his name? Ken. Was he called Fat Bob or something? He was called Fat Something, wasn't he? Let's go smash it. I do know the guy you mean, but let's go smash it and call him Ken. Ken, yeah, Ken, Fat Ken. I saw him perusing magazines in the Nottingham branch of W. H. Smith, and it really doesn't get more exciting than that, except when it does. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> can you that's beat that, good. listener? Uh, I think you can. At the oblong desk, tweet us. Worth saying that that song only got to number 22, their previous hit, The Only Living Boy in New Cross, which was their only top 10 single ever, probably should have been chosen instead, based on its chart position, but from what you said, John, you, you think this one's better? I like them all. Uh, I'd be happy with a, an entire album, as I said. I went and bought it. So I'm no judge of what's the better out of the two. I'd listen to both of them and all of them and everything. Fair enough. Sorry. We, it was always going to happen. We've been far too agreed so far. I think there's only been one track that we've violently disagreed on so far, hasn't there? Out of a show and a half. And so these things had to happen, listener. We were always going to come to blows. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back on track with this one, next one, though, uh, which is track 17. Everything About You... Ugly Kid Joe, this is a great song, not. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? Yes, mate, well done. Yeah, I, I kind of, I've had a love-hate relationship with this. I hated it at the time, then I started liking it, and now I think I'm starting to hate it again. Well, uh, it's from a fantastic film. My youngest son has just started watching Wayne's World. He watched it only a couple of nights ago. And so we spent quite a long time chatting about the various amusing things that occurred during that film. And I said, oh, do you know what? We're going to be talking about everything about you by Ugly Kid Joe. And he went, well, I don't remember that. So <laughs> clearly not a high point in the film. It doesn't ruin the film because the film is awesome and too good to ruin. Uh, but I don't think it's brilliant at all, although it's certainly not the worst song in the film. I think that uh, Tia Carrera can lay claim to that one. Goodness me, was that Ballroom Blitz? It was, wasn't it? Yes. That's appalling. Yes. And, and that was a top 40 hit somehow, but thankfully not on this album. You may think also that um, Ugly Kid Joe were one-hit wonders, or at least were maybe only on one now album, but they actually turn up later on in a couple of albums' time. We'll, we'll get to that on podcast number four. Um, but that leads me directly into our little feature called Now Where Else, where I list all the artists that appeared only on this Now album, on Now 22, and no others ever. Now, they don't have to be one-hit wonders. And interestingly enough... None of the artists who only appear on this Now album 
were one-hit wonders. They all had other hits. They just happened to only appear on this one. So let me uh, reel them off. KWS, I don't think anyone's too sad about that. Electronic, surprisingly. Uh, Carter, this is their only appearance. The next track, which we're going to talk about, SL2. Uh, The Orb, Joe Cocker, Vanessa Williams, and Incognito. Eight in total. And like you say, there's a couple of really big-named artists on there. Electronic, Carter, that... It's very surprising that this is their only appearance, but hey ho! This band, though, SL2. Do you know, there was a myth about SL2 that I heard that how they got their name was from SL2, the postcode. And it's not a toys. <laughs> it's the it's the names of their well, it's their DJ names, their DJ initials. But I went around for years thinking that they were from Slough. Oh, is it Slough? I was just trying to work out what it was. Slough, okay, yeah. Yes, it's Slough. If I'd have got together with somebody, mine would have been ST8, which is a great name for a band, because that's like State, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think 808 State probably, or would, would have made, or maybe even Alternate would have probably uh, claimed that one. There was an Alternate track called Hypnotic St- 8, which was out at this very time. Could have been on this album, in fact. Yeah. And that did have ST8, so it kind of came true. They beat you to it, I'm afraid. And, and of course, now I live in KT14. That doesn't work for anything. I can't be a band. Just sounds like a Faye singer who's probably going to be on the John Lewis advert at Christmas. Here's KT14 with a cover of <laughs> The Final Countdown or something. Uh, Stranger yes. things have happened. Uh, yeah, SL2. Anyway, the- anyway as, as, <laughs> as that was nothing to do with their name, let's move on. SL2. Slip Matt and Lime. In case you were wondering, that, that, that was their name, Slip Matt and Lime. It's instantly recognisable. It's instantly get up and danceable too. Um, there is a uh, remake of this, a 2015 remake from a band called My Digital Enemy, and it's well worth a listen if you get the chance. Go on. Oh, it's, it's available on YouTube. You can go and have a look at that. My Digital Enemy. Terrible band name, though. It is a terrible band name, but they're, they're, it's, it's kind of like slowed down a bit. And it's got a lot more downstairs. It's quite a classy production. Um, I think you may not like it. Yes, I think you well, right. I did. I enjoyed it. Let's play another one. Yeah. Shall we um, hear some of <laughs> track 19, Blue Room by The Orb? So that's track 19 on disc 1 of now 22, which we're reviewing here on Oblong Desk, and that's the final track on the album. No time for the full 39 minute 58 second version, sadly, though uh, I would argue that that full length version on disc 2 would have probably been a good replacement for about 10 of the songs that uh, were chosen, though I, I don't suppose many other potential buyers would agree with that. One thing I always find amazing about both Blue Room and Assassin, which was the follow-up single by The Orb, they entered the chart and then people heard it and thought, oh, I really like that, and then went out and bought both and they went up the chart the following week. You'd have thought this would be the kind of stuff that would go in high and then just drop out of the top 40 completely. Blue Room climbed to number eight in its second week on the chart. Now, I can't remember if that infamous Top of the Pops performance of them playing chess happened in the first week it was in the chart or the second. I think it was the second, so I don't think it was even because of that. It's... A truly remarkable piece of music this is, isn't it? It's like you've phoned a mail-order space aquarium shop and been put on hold. The woman keeps saying, 
the music is fantastic. But she may as well say your order of half a dozen intergalactic koi carp are very important to us. We're extremely busy at the moment and we'll be with you as soon as possible. I don't know. It's just it's got nothing. You, you wait. You wait for something interesting, exciting to happen. And a woman says this music is fantastic. And it just isn't. Don't worry. They do little fluffy clouds. So that's OK. But this. Bleh. Which which was never on an hour album, but uh, but I I actually quite like Blue Room. Um, I've never heard the full version of it, but I'd be quite willing to. Uh, unfortunately, I think that um, forty minute long bar a couple of seconds, and the reason why it was that long is because that was the limit that you were allowed to have in order for it to chart on a on a CD single. Um, that forty minute version on CD single is not surprisingly quite hard to get hold of now. But if anyone wants to uh, sell me a copy, then uh, do get in touch. There's never been a better time to uh, listen to something that's 40 minutes long than right now exactly so that's that's disc one done and dusted a disc two is going to be a rather quicker affair partly because there's only 15 tracks on it partly because some of them are very long which is why there aren't many tracks on this second disc and partly because some of them are very very boring um but let's start off with a track that i don't think is uh hazard by richard marks is the first track on disc two and this is definitely my second favorite song about somewhere called hazard the first one being the one by Waylon Jennings, just the good old boys. Because, you know, you can't beat a bit of Roscoe and you can't beat a bit of Uncle Jesse pointing at people. But this one, this 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 hazard that Richard Marks is in, it doesn't sound half as happy a place. No, it doesn't. I mean, the song itself is really, really, you know, moody and um, heartfelt. I really like it. But I would prefer if I've got to listen to something about Hazard for it to feature Daisy Duke, if that's all right. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, I think it's probably Richard Marx's best song, and uh, we we have uh, we have been told that his Twitter account is quite amusing and worth following, so should you want to do that, um, then uh, do go ahead. I'm going to keep an eye on it and see if that's true. After you've followed us, dear listener, at the Oblong Desk. Of course. While you're in a like and follow place. Let's play this one. unmistakable piano and singing of elton john i say unmistakable singing of course these days it's a different story but (laughs) this is back when elton john was still in his prime and belting out a gorgeous song it's powerful it's committed it's really emotional and some of the chord progression in this is very very juicy indeed um he's playing thirds and sixths you know most pop songs is one four uh, you cause you if you, your major, your first, your fourth, and your fifth. You're gonna go. Yeah, I'll right, carry on, mate. So I will. Uh, but this one, he's throwing in thirds and sixths and and some like all sorts of weird chords that should not be in pop songs. And the a bit where he goes, where stars collide. That's a G flat that just simply shouldn't be in there. It just shouldn't be allowed. But somehow, you know, because he is a genius, he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly when to throw these chords in to make that awesome chorus 
in an awesome song. I love this to bits. I think it's one of his best things he's ever done. I, I didn't know you had such a love for it. I mean, for me, it's it's one of those. It's it's nice. Well, I wouldn't say it's one of my absolute favourites. It's, it's a good song. I, I wouldn't have known about the uh, musical elements of it, but now I'm going to have to go and listen to it again, uh, which is the whole point of this, isn't it? I mean, your your musical knowledge is kind of helping me and the listener hopefully understand some of these things. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly standard melody, but the chords he throws in underneath are just very clever and lift it and then they lift it again and then they lift it again and yeah i i grabbed my guitar <laughs> tried to play along to it and i was like oh that's good oh that's good in the end i had to go and have a bit of a lie down fair enough well if, if oh, far, far, too far, excited, too far too excited but again but again you know when people talk about why is elton john a great and, and, and bernie tobin why are they such great songwriters and great songwriting team it's things like yeah, this yeah it is and yeah i mean he he kind of went off the boil a bit after this didn't he for quite some time actually for most of the 90s really after this um i mean there was there was all sorts of weird rumors flying about in 92 that he was really unwell um and i think it was just well obviously <laughs> spoiler alert he's still here so i think we can say it's a uh, tabloid nonsense after freddie had gone maybe they wanted someone else to hound but he brought out a, a single called the last song Mm. later in 92 and the papers had a field day with that oh look what the title is uh no so um he's had a lot of rubbish from the papers over the year and i like him although i do wish he'd stop singing now because his voice went years ago stop now yes. elton you don't need to do yes. it anymore he's still standing Thanks. Unlike our next artist, Track 22, it's Roy Orbison, who is very much dead, and a strangely underwhelming cover of I Drove All Night. Uh, well, it isn't a cover. He did it first, although it came out second. I'm confused now. <laughs> yeah, he he recorded it before you got it, so when he was still alive, in other words. Yes, yes, mate. He'd find it rather difficult to record it after he was dead. Well, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. He did that um, towards the end of his life, before you got it and had come out and, and all the kind of posthumous minor hits after that that he had. This one was recorded way back, and Cindy Lauper's was actually the cover, um, although you'd, you'd never know, really. But um, I prefer the Roy Orbison one, actually, strangely. Oh, we're, we're having a... A violent disagreement over many. What's going? Yes. What's going on? Which is your favourite hazard? Richard Marx's, the Dukes of, or a nuclear one? Do let us know on Twitter at the Oblong Desk. No, really, we genuinely care. Coming up in the final bit of Oblong Desk episode two, Noakes says this. Unchain my heart, brackets, 90s version, close brackets, you mean there were more than one, God help us. I make a comparison. They make the cores look like Pantera. We hand out the Neil Warnock Award for the song that ruins the album. Choose a song that should be on there instead in Look What You Could Have Won and pick our absolute faves. Right now though, it's that big Geordie bloke with the broken nose from our Fidesane pet.
So that's track four on this two of now 22, which we're reviewing on Oblong Desk on this podcast. Ain't No Doubt by Jimmy Nail. And it's time for what I think will be a semi-regular feature. Uh, and I'm calling it a triple A. It's some um, Ashley Abram applause. We didn't really cover this in detail last time, but Ashley Abram is the guy who compiled most of the Now albums from, I think, around Now 4 through to Now 90-ish. And um, whenever he does something marvellous, I think we should do some Ashley Abram applause. So there we go. Right, uh, we're doing that. You're probably wondering why. Uh, it's because this was a pre-release. And uh, in my opinion, there was no guarantee this would be a massive hit. I guess he probably had some inkling that it was being plugged a lot by the promoters, that it was probably being played on radio a fair bit. But it still could have been a massive flop. I mean, he'd only had one hit ever, which was also on a Now album, his cover of uh, Love Don't Live Here Anymore, which was seven years earlier. So there was no guarantee this was going to be big. And yet, here we are with another long-running number one. Yeah. Can we just do the line, mate? She's lying. <laughs> I, I love this song. She's lying. He manages to say that in just. I mean, people still quote it today, don't they? Did you see the uh, Did you see the account on Twitter that was uh, purporting to be Jimmy Nail judging people? And and it it basically put uh, whoever it was, he or she, I guess, would put a clip on of somebody talking on the news and, and then just put underneath, he's lying or <laughs> she's lying or whatever. I mean, there was a bit more to it than that, but not much. That that account lasted about three weeks and then all the material was exhausted. It still exists, I think. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what it's called. But if you search for Jimmy Nail on Twitter, you will find it because the man himself isn't on there, I don't think. He can do no wrong. From our feed same pet through to this, the nail keeps delivering. It's a, it's a fantastic song, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's still good. You don't really hear it much now, do you, on the radio, I don't think. But it, it should be on the radio. It's good. Unlike <laughs> track five, Unchain My Heart, brackets, 90s version, close brackets, you mean there were more than one, God help us, say all the listeners, it's Joe Cocker. Yeah, needs more Jennifer Warns, does Joe Cocker. No, 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 needs more Delta Lady, which was his only good song. There you go, controversial opinion. That's all I have to say. Um, yeah, this isn't great. Let's move on. It's not. I mean, he was having a mini revival at this point. Goodness knows why. Up next, it's track six, Curtis Steiger's. You're all that matters to me. Uh, thanks, Curtis. Much appreciated. I don't like this one as much as I like the one that was on the previous Now album. Yeah, uh, I think that's probably all we can I say, really. See, see our previous comments on I, the first podcast, really. I think we were kind to him now. I'm getting annoyed. I don't want to hear him anymore. Fair enough. Well, Although, luckily we won't be. Good. Although not as much as I don't want to hear this next band. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, um, dear. It's time to award our award that we give out to the biggest stinker on the album the one that ruins it for everything our neil warnock award for this now 22 goes to wilson phillips you won't see me cry well you will see me cry you chuffing will ladies what were you thinking it's just it's so inconsequential it's it may as well not be there It, it drifts by on a cloud of absolute tedium frankly i mean i kind of like hold on more now than i did then but it has to be said that was their only good song everything else they did was like this wishy-washy and completely inconsequential and again this is like this should be a lot better given the musical pedigree of wilson phillips you've got beach boys and mamas and papas semen and eggs floating around in there and it's produced this it's produced this just bland safe they make the cores look like pantera 
they are just so dull it's beyond belief i almost don't want to give them an award because they'll probably think it's a good thing it's not a good thing this is an awful song let's quickly move on to our next track which is track eight on disc two four seasons in one day by crowded house only got to number 26 but by this point it seems that crowded house were obviously becoming regulars they're also on the next one uh, as well that we'll be covering um i'm gonna swear now because they do on this song this song contains the word shit but apparently that's okay uh for all the kids who may have been buying it or receiving it for christmas um however you'd never know really i, I remember it got played on the radio with that in and no one noticed they're obsessed with the weather crowded house i don't know if you know there's this one you've got four seasons in one day then you've got weather with you and then you've got distant sun as well the only other people i know who go into this much detail about the weather are thomas schaffernacker and my mum on her weekly phone call <laughs> it's a nice song yeah it is a good song it's, it's a nice song it's nothing special i mean it's about new zealand hence four seasons in one day and having been there that does happen but then to be fair it also does in cumbria so uh, you know that that's yeah. nothing to shout about but yeah it's, it's not the best but it's okay. It's, it's it's in a long line of songs that are kind of, yeah, all right. Mm, speaking of which, track nine, Annie Lennox. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Lennox hungry for more Brit Award. <laughs> Feed Lennox. <laughs> yeah, it's not her best, is uh, it? I mean, it's it, Precious was better, which was the next single, but sadly wasn't as big a hit. So that's why you get why on here instead. Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me is next. George Michael and Elton John. George Michael got live concerts so spectacularly wrong, didn't he? There was the Olympics closing ceremony thing. Here's one off my new album. Shush, George. And here he is now singing one of Elton John's songs with Elton John. And halfway through, he announces to the crowd that that short chap with the wig on at the piano is, in fact, wait for it, wait for it, everyone. It's Mr. Elton John. That bit of the song annoys me so much. We know it's Elton John. It's his song, George. Get off. He should be introducing you. This is a man who was having hits when George was riding his rally chopper around public parks. They know who he is, George. And he was in Wham, who are crap. Well, I don't like this bit. I, I know you're not a fan, but uh, I think to counter that i i don't disagree on this one because it's not a favorite of mine um but i think he got somebody to love absolutely spectacularly right at the freddie mercury tribute concert that is one he did get right because most people that day were terrible um i mean axel rose enough said really but uh, but george got that one right but i won't say any more about that because that is on uh, an hour album in future so we will be coming to that um however point of order this song was released in december 1991 why is it on this album especially when we've already had alton john eight tracks ago um i can only assume that george's argument with sony was causing problems in terms of licensing and all of a sudden he just decided or his manager or record company or whatever decided that they were going to license them all over the place and that's why it turns up here because you know if it was going to be anywhere it should have been on the previous now album it's just a bit strange i wouldn't have it i wouldn't have him or it or anything by him anywhere near anything and i know that the great british public and the great in fact public of the world now listen to this will go what are you on about john um we love george well you are wrong you are all wrong, and I will go to my grave saying that you are wrong about George Michael and Wham, and one day the world will wake up to it. 
and, and, and just to make this clear, in case we've just lost half our audience, I, I strongly disagree. Um, and I do like George. And we will be hearing more from George in future, so that uh, is something you're going to have to cope with, I'm afraid. Live and let live. However, we won't be hearing much, if anything, actually, I think. Or maybe there's one more to come of uh, Diana Ross, who once again turns up on here, this time track 11, one shining moment with a very, very dull ballad. Uh, and you can pretty much uh, copy and paste our comments from the previous podcast about her on this one. Here's a weird one. Um, save the best for last, which, again, Mr. Abram could have you know put as the final track could have put on this last track yeah yeah that is an opportunity missed even even more so than cc peniston there's an open goal my advice vanessa is talk to elton john he'll tell you how to write a ballad because this one is just yeah it's got nothing interesting about it no it's boring again yeah another boring one i'm afraid dull nothing to say frankly we've been having a run of these but we're about to be saved Well, thank goodness for that. After everybody listening to this album would nearly have dozed off, we get on Vogue as track 13 on disc 2 and My Lovin'. Uh, for some reason, I've got a, a sudden urge to call a taxi. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Me too. I, I can't think why that hmm. would be. Anyway, let's put that aside. Uh, they're still going, you know, Trent Cars. <laughs> we should really? explain uh, that this was uh, a track that we used to advertise a local taxi company in Nottingham who were, I think, one of the very first people to advertise on our student radio station. So I'm very pleased that both On Vogue and Trent Cars are still very much in operation. And I think that we probably, by combining those two things, played a very significant part in that. Yeah, well, you'd like to think so, and it was the most memorable advert we had at the time, so I think that's why we all remember it. Um, I say we, yeah. obviously 99.9% of our audience probably won't, so sorry about that. But so let's talk about the song, shall we? Uh, yeah, it's a good one, this. Yes, let's. It's a good one. Yeah, I really like it as well. It's sassy and classy, and goes, mm, bop. In a much more pleasing way than Hanson did. And it's one of those career reviver songs, because I think um, most people would have expected them to be one-hit wonders after Hold On had done well in 1990 and then nothing else had happened after that. But after this, they had a run of hits, uh, some of which we'll hear in future. Um, So, yeah, I think uh, probably their best song, I would say. Oh, certainly, certainly, without a doubt. And uh, why it's in the death slot of two before the end of the album, I don't know. Yeah, it should have been nearer the start of this disc, I think. Um, But uh, at least we can end this section by going, yes, sir. And on to track 14. Uh, We've got a little mini soul (laughs) segment going on at the end of this, a kind of group of three that are all similar-ish genre, although this one's not as interesting. Track 14 is Joy by Soul to Soul, which is a bit bland, really. Yeah, it brings me none. Is that and and there therefore we'll move. <laughs> that, that's let's it. just move on. I mean, it was a big hit. It was um, it was quite a big hit. I know, but they, they, it's soul to soul. It's all, it, they're all the same. They have kind of like moments where they're a bit better and moments where they're not so good. But 
fundamentally. They press start on the drum machine. They don't know how to change the settings on the drum machine to a different beat. And so you're stuck with what you're stuck with. And whilst it's not an unpleasant noise, it's never, ever remarkable or different. Yeah, I think I agree with that, which uh, leads us on to the last track on the album, track 15 on disc two, Stevie Wondercover from Incognito, Don't You Worry About A Thing. Yeah, and we started off with the Erasure track, Covering ABBA, where we said you have to be really, really careful about covering ABBA. You also have to be really, really careful about covering Stevie Wonder because the man is a legend. However, I think Incognito have done a really good job here, and there's some very interesting bits in the um where they're stepping down in semitones there's a word for that that i've forgotten you see i thought i knew about music for that thing it's chromatic that's That's it yeah yes got there in the end uh that bit's brilliant and really makes this stand out and as you say if you if you've got a stevie wonder song you're not going to go far wrong if you do it well and they've done it well i think we mentioned before there's always a few on now albums that tend to get forgotten about and uh when you hear it again you think oh, actually yeah that's that's all right and i think it is one of those i think it's a reasonable enough track to uh to finish the album on and a message for our times john don't you worry about a thing all right thanks yes we've done another album we have we've done another album and we've just got a couple of things left to do um the first of which is look what you could have won some songs that could have been on there based on what was in the chart over the previous three months and artists that would likely have been available for selection and unlike last time um i struggled here which is a bit worrying because it indicates that ashley abram did quite well and that actually all that run of absolute drivel on disc two that we had is, is some of the best material that he had to select from which indicates that the charts might have been a bit poor then i think they were from memory Summer often is a bit barren for decent stuff. Yeah. Well, what have you got then? Hit me Hit me with some songs. I think you'll struggle to pick a favourite here, but we're, we've got... Um, and, and this is surprising because their tracks tended to be on Now albums before. Uh, Curiosity, Hang On In Their Baby, number three that I got to in the charts. It's a cover. There's plenty of covers on here, so it's kind of a bit bemusing that it wasn't selected. I'm not saying it's any good. Curiosity had killed their cat by this stage. They've done some really, really good stuff and some really bland stuff. This would squarely fall into the bland category. I'm going to say no. Okay. Uh, Kylie, because she was on the previous one, so the next single along was Finer Feelings, which got to number 11. Uh, It's quite a nice song. I think it could have certainly displaced some of the terrible ballads on disc two. I'm looking at Joe Cocker here. (laughs) You don't want to do that, No, I don't want to do that, actually. Um, You'll turn to stone. Yeah, I love Finer Feelings. I'd have it on there in an instant. Yeah, and, and she was a regular on Now album, so it's a bit bit mystifying why that wasn't chosen. Um, two Unlimited, the previous two singles were on there. Workaholic, which got to number four, isn't, and arguably could have been. Again, I'm not saying it's any good. <laughs> Workaholic's bonkers. Um, yeah, there's too much noise and not enough hook. You know, there's too, too much unlimited sound, but there isn't actually a good hook on Workaholic, I don't think. So, no, I'm rejecting... I think it's better than Twilight Zone, but not as good as Get Ready For This. I'd put it somewhere in the middle. No, I'd put it squarely at the bottom of the pile of those three that you've just mentioned. Two more for consideration then. Uh, And the next one, I'm not sure would have been available because I have a feeling they were on one of the Sony or or Warners or all that group. Uh, Criss Cross with Jump. I mean, absolutely huge song. Number two. um, And one of the biggest songs of early summer. So that's probably a big miss for this album well 
lack of availability must be the reason because you you know you'd have to be wickety 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 whack to not put this on there it's <laughs> an amazing song very good and uh, and the final one uh faith no more had been on now 17 with from out of nowhere which is fantastic midlife crisis had got to number 10 their biggest hit at that time and uh they could have been on there with that as well could have had a bit more rock on there it's not a particularly rocky album could have maybe slotted that in towards the end of disc one where there's some other rocky stuff maybe they could have done couldn't they it's it's interesting again faith no more kind of get into that area of bit scary for the mainstream don't they you know like the jesus and mary chain yeah we were talking about last time when you hear faith no more you kind of think oh people will be put off because there's guitars in it and they're quite loud guitars um so i think they have to work harder yeah, I I'm, I mean, I mentioned From Out of Nowhere, but although it's a very rocky track, it's got a very traditional song structure. It's pretty much first chorus, first chorus, bridge, you know, and so on. Midlife Crisis has a very unusual song structure, and I guess that probably put them off from including that one. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is that if you're a Faith No More fan, you will have gone and sought this out elsewhere. And if you are a Faith No More fan, how much other stuff is there on here? for you i think i know what you're going to say when uh, we come to pick one that we'd like to see on here out of curiosity kylie two unlimited crisscross and faith no more which one would you go for um personal level kylie um surprised it's not on their crisscross and this time i am 100 percent in agreement so there we are we we, we got to a we got to an agreement right at the end there but we may disagree about our favourite track on the entire album, which is our final thing that we need to do. And I'm I'm struggling here because there's there's lots that I like, but there's no standout. So I'm going to let you go first. I think my top three were probably Jimmy Nail, probably Shakespeare's sister, and my eventual winner was uh, Carter. Oh, really? Just because no one else is going to pick that and take it with them and i need to fly the flag i need to be the one that keeps this because it's it's music that in 20 30 years from now we should look back on and remember rather than please don't go by kws or you're all that matters to me by curtis steigers something says 1992 it is carter and so that for that reason okay well um i had a few in on the back burner i had snap um and I was toying with the idea of electronic, but I think I'm going to have to go with Jimmy Nail because if, if only for the reason that it's still brilliant and it still seems a bit like when I chose the KLF last time, it, it still seems really unlikely that this actually happened, that he got to number one with that and then had loads more hits off the back of it because you've got two actors on here who at this point had had two hits, Nick Berry and Jimmy Nail, and who would have thought that either of them would go on to have more big hits and Jimmy Nail did, so I'm going to give it to Ain't No Doubt by Jimmy Nail. There we go. Well, that wraps up episode two of Oblong Desk. Thanks very much for listening. Um, Don't forget, as usual, if you have anything you'd like to comment on, maybe you violently disagree with us, maybe you violently agree with us, maybe you're not into violence at all, I don't know. Um, Whatever it is, our Twitter is at the Oblong Desk. You can also leave comments on the Podbean website. That is oblongdesk.podbean.com. 
I believe as well that we are also available on iTunes and you can just search for Oblong Desk. Join us next time for Now 23, logically enough, which is a bumper Christmas present from Ashley Abram with more tracks than we particularly probably want to talk about and more tracks than you'll ever need. But uh, it'll be a happy Christmas from us, even though you'll hear about it in kind of spring, summertime. So uh, that's it from me, Noakes. Um, Stay safe and uh, hopefully we'll uh, have your company for the next edition of the podcast. Oblong Desk is written, presented and produced by Noakes and John Tyndall with original music by John. For more information on the show or to apply to be a future guest reviewer, message at the Oblong Desk on Twitter. Twitter.